Thank you, Lord, for all those kids. We have lots of children in our church. And lots more on the way. So, um, well, I wanted to share this one more time. I shared it first service. Is one thing we really uh, want to emphasize in our church of coming together is to worship the Lord. And um, in everything that we do, that's our hearts is really... And sometimes we get lost along the way, but our hearts really is to really honor the Lord and bless the Lord's heart. And, you know, of course, in song, that's a, the easy part. Sometimes announcements can, can be kind of hard to worship the Lord if announcements. We, hopefully they facilitate worship. And we, we pray that preaching would be a worship, that it would encourage you and bless you in the Lord and stir up the gifts of God in you, which is worship. And... And also giving, and so we want you know, we want to be able to give with cheerful hearts, and we want to give with worshipful hearts. So that's really sort of what, where we're trying to, what we're trying to do as we gather together and do something together as people, which I believe is really important that we do that. So, Father, this morning as we give to you, we want to, we want to worship, Lord. We really do want to be worshipers, uh, first and foremost in our lives, and. I just pray that uh, you would help us do that, not only right here in this moment. I pray you would help us tomorrow to worship. I pray you would help us to worship you with our finances always, Lord, and our time and our talents, all those things, Lord. So we ask you for that this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All righty. I can go ahead. So Matthew's going to come. We had a great message this morning. And... Uh, that Matthew gave, and he's going to come give that same great message again, no pressure, Matthew. <laughs> but it was really good. I feel like the Lord was really speaking. So I just want to bless you, Matthew, and Lord give you a fresh zeal here, fresh anointing to go back and, and give this. And that was good what Shara, uh, Sarah shared at the end also, so we want her to do that too. All right. Good morning. If that was you that uh, Don was talking about, that you need healing this morning, uh, we'll make time to pray for you. We're going to have communion here at the end in a little bit. And uh, so if that's you and you need healing this morning, just come, come up here to the corner and uh, we'll be over there to pray for you. So I feel like the Lord impressed on me that there's somebody here this morning at the end of your rope, so to speak. So, um, if that's you, there's good news. You're in the right place. And the Lord wants to meet you at the end of your rope. <laughs> it's funny how the Lord shows up at that place quite often. And, uh, but I just want you to um, know that the Lord really has something for you to receive today. And um, if you will, if that's you, specifically, come up here at the end as we're taking communion as well. I really want to pray for you. You know, because I really believe the Lord's got something to impart to you. So, having said that, I, I just want to start off with prayer this morning before we get into the Word. Father, we just thank You so much that You always have fresh bread for us to eat, God. Spiritually, physically too, Lord. But, God, we just um, ask You to do what You will today. Say what You want to say in this service, Lord. And uh, we pray that You would give us open hearts to receive 
Um, open ears to hear, Lord, what you're saying to us spiritually. And uh, we just thank you, God, that you are good, Lord. That your mercies endure forever, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, um, you know, I want to just recognize, of course, that Tuesday is our 210th birthday as a country. That's pretty old, right? Anybody know anybody that's 210? I don't think so, but um, anyway, Joanne McCarran has a grandfather that's 103. That's pretty old, but um, 210 years is quite a long time, but not a very long time for the history of a nation. Uh, we're a pretty young nation still, and uh, as I was thinking about July the 4th, you know, as a school teacher, all the time, as we began, to t- as we talk about July 4th in history class, there were always many students that had no clue what we were celebrating on July the 4th. 200 what? 230th birthday? Oh, my bad. Anyway, um, yeah, something like that. Uh, anyway, what was I saying? Yes, yeah, students that have no clue how old we are or uh, 76, yes. Uh, okay. <laughs> anyway, uh, the point still is valid that um, besides fireworks and having a day off from work or what have you, it's amazing how many citizens of the United States do not realize what happened on July 4th, 1776. And, um, you know, not to go into a big long thing about that, but I do just want to make this comment is that, first of all, in the first three decades of the 1700s, there was generally a pretty um, uh, dark cloud over the colonies. Um, people had uh, kind of turned away from the Lord in, in a great measure, and the church had by and large become very kind of formal and ritualistic and cold. And, uh, you know, there was just all sorts of things going on that were really not what we might think of in our Christian nation. And... Uh, but, you know, lo and behold, somewhere in the early 1730s, a uh, pretty monotone voice, probably somewhat boring New England preacher, got up one Sunday morning and something some pretty extraordinary happened. And that was that as he began to read his sermon, um, the Spirit of God moved in a very powerful way. Of course, that was Jonathan Edwards. And, and for the next you know, 10 years and even on 30 years down the road, a revival broke loose in the colonies that would forever change who we were as a people. And of course, the, George Whitfield was over here from England and he was a famous preacher during that time. But can you imagine, you know, having been, been born during that period and growing up in a season of revival in the 1730s, 40s, 50s, and even on into the 60s? And, uh, People experienced what it was like to be bound by sin and being freed into the glorious liberty that that Christ gave. And it was just a tremendous thing. And then in the 1760s and 70s, as these colonies came under this tyranny and this oppression by the almighty British Empire, um, that thing that they had experienced spiritually began to come out physically and you know, then these guys were so courageous to get together and actually sign their names to this document on July the 4th, known as the Declaration of Independence. And um, so, I just say that to say 
Don't let the day go by without being thankful for who we are and what God has graciously given us. Not any reason that we deserve it. We've done nothing to deserve anything from God, but He's given it to us. And yet today we, we can still freely just gather here and worship God. We can proclaim Jesus in Walmart if we wanted to, and the police would not come usher us away, hopefully. <laughs> Us are being really rowdy, but uh, you know, uh, whatever you know, whatever the situation is, and uh, so we just say, Lord, we are really thankful that you've given us a land, Lord, that has been so bountifully blessed, Lord, and God, we just ask you to forgive us for our sins, Lord, and uh, we just acknowledge our wrongdoing, and as citizens of this country, Lord, we just ask for your mercy. We ask you to return our country once again to you, Lord. We pray, Lord, that our churches would once again become um, pillars of light in our communities, Lord. Influential places, Lord, where Your Word is preached with power, Lord God. And God, we just glory in Your goodness to us today. In Jesus' name, Amen. So, you know, don't forget to tell your kids about July the 4th and what it really means and kind of like people that grow up not really knowing the story about Christmas, you know, because nobody ever really bothered to tell them what this holiday was all about. Same thing with July the 4th. So, uh, amen. Well, uh, I want to read a scripture to you, and if you've been here for a year or so, you've heard this scripture many, many times, but please bear with me. It's Luke 4, starting in verse 16. And uh, so Jesus came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, his hometown. And as his custom was, so this was kind of a tradition, his custom was he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So all bore witness to him and marveled at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, Is this not Joseph's son? As I was um, praying about what the Lord's heart you know, was for um, this morning, uh, just a single word came to me at one point, and that word was tender-hearted. Tender-hearted. And the Lord was just reminding me of how important it is that we as individuals remain with a tender heart before the Lord. And I want to ask you this question this morning. Do you remember what your heart was like, the condition of your heart prior to, your, prior to meeting the Lord? Do you remember how rebellious you were or how stubborn or how jaded your attitude was about things? Um, all of these things that maybe went on in you before coming to know the Lord. And then do you remember the moment, or maybe it was a period of time for some of us, in which the Spirit of God came on you 
in a miraculous way, despite anything that you deserve, and, and even in a moment, all of a sudden, that cold heart was removed. And like the prophet Ezekiel prophesied, that, that heart of stone was taken out and a new heart was implanted. And not only that, but the, the laws of God were written on that heart and you delighted to even do those things. Do you remember that, Fred? Yeah, you remember when that happened? I do too. I mean, not for you, but for me. <laughs> um, it was a miraculous thing in my life. And without going into all the nitty-gritty details of my story about how that happened, I was a really just a really rebellious teenager. God bless my mother. You know, I just, I wasn't, I just, you know, think back now, it probably wasn't real pleasant to have me as a son, uh, grew up in this great family and just a, an alive church and just all kinds of good things going on, the word, you know, just a lot happening, God was doing a lot, but the light bulb had not gone on for me, and I was had a jaded heart and a rebellious heart and, you know, just did just wanted to do my own thing. But you know, what Jesus said here became very personal to me at age nineteen when, even in a moment, it's probably more than a moment, but it seemed like a moment, the Spirit of the Lord came upon me. And the Spirit of the Lord anointed me and it preached the good news to me being poor. Now, yeah, I was in college, so physically I was poor, but it was mostly spiritually and mentally poor. At the time, I was just so... I was literally going through a mental and emotional breakdown, being on my way to a mental hospital for evaluation and that sort of thing, just really in a bad, bad place. Definitely the end of my rope. <laughs> And uh, the Lord came upon me and uh, just through a series of events, you know, he, he for, for some reason He told me to get water baptized and uh, when I did that, um, the Spirit of God came upon me in such a way and instantaneously delivered me from just all kinds of mess going on in me. And so He, he healed my broken heart. That's the next part of what Jesus said. He healed the broken pieces of my life. He proclaimed liberty over me. I was very much a captive. I had very much subjected myself to some things that had enslaved me for a couple of years, for a number of years. And not only that, but He restored my sight spiritually. Like I said about the light bulb, maybe you've had those light bulb experiences especially with the Lord, where you've heard things over and over and over and over and over again, but it's not until you have a complete encounter with the Lord that all of a sudden all that makes sense. And see, that's what happened for me. But it was by the Spirit of God coming upon me. Maybe you're here today and that's your situation. You know, you, you've heard all kinds of things, some true and some maybe not quite so true about God or Christianity or the church or whatever. But you know what? The Spirit of the Lord can come upon you today and it all makes sense. Oh, that's what it's all about. He set at liberty 
myself, who was very much oppressed. And, probably best yet, the last part of this is he proclaimed the acceptable year of the Lord, the year of jubilee for me. And in just a few minutes, I want to explain to you what the year of jubilee was, if you don't know. The year of jubilee, but briefly, was where in the nation of Israel, all anybody who was in forced servitude was set free that year. Anybody who had outstanding debts, they were all canceled. You know, the favorable year of the Lord was proclaimed over me. So, um, Jesus' mission statement here, in other words, what I'm trying to express to you, is a very personal, personal thing for me. Because I realized how these things were all fulfilled in my life. And one of my heart's desires from that moment, you know, 12 or 13 years ago, however long ago that was now, um, is that other people would be able to experience that. You know, is that I would be able to share with somebody else who's maybe in a similar situation, just bound by stuff, just hopeless, and the Lord would reveal Himself. The anointing would come upon them that they would see and understand and believe that this foolish, preposterous thing about Jesus and all this stuff, that it's true. The Lord is who He said He was. And one of the important ministries of the church is a sense of mission. And that's what I want to really just briefly share with you this morning is that God has given us a mission as a church. And uh, how many people has, have ever been on a missions trip? You know, we call them missions trip, where you go like somewhere else and you spend your time. A lot of people have, right? And we prayed for Larry Harkness. He's getting ready to go on one this week to Russia. And uh, by the way, if you didn't know why these flags are up here, yeah, they're pretty flags, but the reason is they're up here is because someone in this church at some point over probably the last eight years or something, has been to one of these countries and ministered the gospel. And uh, so we need to add a Russian flag up there and I think one or two others. Um, but, you know, and that, that's really important to do that. But you know what's also important? Is that we live our life on a mission trip. I was thinking about what you do on a mission trip, you know. You spend, you give yourself to you know, one to three weeks typically. You go to a place a long ways away so nobody knows your name. <laughs> and, and and you can do a variety of things from, you know, going and helping with a building project to feeding orphans to, um, you know, uh, I went on a trip where we went out and witnessed on the street. I mean, yeah, all kinds of different things, to so preaching in churches or whatever the opportunities are that you have. But, you know, we come home, we don't do that much. <laughs> you know, I mean, honestly, we, we really don't even think about it that much. Um, some of us do, maybe more than others. Uh, now, one of the things is you have all your free time to do that on a missions trip. You know, that's, you don't have to go to work and you don't have your family to take, you know, all this stuff. Um, but, you know, the Lord's been speaking to me that, you know what, though? If we would maybe adjust the way we saw life and the way we see the world and our community around us, maybe it's possible to live on a missions trip. Let's live on a missions trip. 
that's just my <laughs> that's my um, invitation. Let's put it that way to you today as River Life Fellowship. We're going on a missions trip, but you know what? We ain't going anywhere. We're staying right here, but we can go into our community. We can go to our neighbors and we can go to our coworkers and we can even go to you know some stranger at Walmart if you're that weird. You know, or bold, I guess I should say. Or, you know, whatever the Lord would have you to do, we can do that. And I feel like the Lord, part of this thing about uh, restructuring of ministry teams and stuff, I think that fits into what I'm saying here this morning. Is that, let's say, for example, that there's someone... Um, that, okay, we, we are, we're setting up a group of people that feel called to minister maybe to married couples. Let's say people are having trouble in their marriage... And there's probably plenty of people in the church that are have, that could use some counsel in their marriages, and that's completely uh, legitimate. And that ministry team is going to be involved <laughs> in in uh, you know in, involved in doing that. But here's the thing: if if we stop there, somehow we've missed it. I feel like the Lord is exhorting us and calling us outside just this body. But also, you know, we've got tons of neighbors and co-workers and whatever that have really, you know, they're in trouble in their marriages or their relationships. They're at the end of their rope, you know. I mean, I'm sure there's plenty of desperate people out there in marriages that, you know, if we would say, hey, you know what, we really love you and God's got an answer, you know, He really does and we would just really like to pray for you and just help you any way that you feel comfortable doing that. Just imagine if we begin to approach life and ministry more in that mindset. And it's not just marriages. It's all kinds of different things from you know, deliverance from demonic stuff or financial problems or you know, whatever it is that's just plaguing people out there. So a missions trip. That's what we're on. And so, of course, as we've heard over and over again, this is Jesus' mission. You know, and so, I say today, officially, our, mi- our mission statement for River Life Fellowship is this. It's a mission statement that we feel like the Lord wants us to accomplish, and it's an impossible, it's mission impossible. If you think about that movie, you know, it's like, you receive this message, should you choose to receive this mission, da-da-da-da-da, and this message will self-destruct in five seconds. It's like, you know, and then the music starts playing, do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do, and the guy, you know, he goes out on this impossible mission. Well, it really is like that. It's an impossible mission. It's not anything that I can, oh yeah, I can do this. No problem, preach the gospel, poor, heal, broken heart, set the cat free. I, mean, I can do that. No, I can't do that. I, that's really overwhelming, actually, to, to read that and take it literally. Now, I can scoot my way around it and be safe, you know, like, well, you know, Jesus was being, you know, using analogies here, and, you know, all these things, but I don't really believe that. I believe the Lord really has for us to accomplish these things. And, you know, a trusted uh, prophetic voice at the beginning of the year, again, I remind you, he said that the Lord said through him, I am waiting for those who will fulfill my mission statement. Not just believe it. Not just think about it and put it on their brochure as their mission statement. But people that will actually take seriously fulfilling 
the mission. So, you still want to go on a missions trip? <laughs> because it's an impossible mission. It's an impossible mission, at least for us. He also said, if those in my church that will begin to make this their mission statement, I will give them the fulfillment of every one of them. See, that's the good news. If we want to fulfill it, He will actually give us the ability to fulfill those things. Isn't that exciting? So what I want to do here for the next few minutes is break down just the different pieces of this. And look, I was really curious, what does the whole Bible have to say about this mission statement that Jesus was proclaiming in the synagogue here right at the beginning of His ministry? What do all of these things mean exactly? So if you're up for it, I'm going to go through some scriptures in various parts of the Bible that speak to these specifically. And let's start with the first part of this. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Now my question is, Lord, what will happen to me or what will happen to you when the Spirit of the Lord comes upon us? Okay, and we're going to look in Isaiah chapter 11 for this. And uh, for sake of time, we're going to stick this up on the screen. We'll just go through this. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, okay, I think I want those, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. Everybody want all those things. Okay, if you've been reading Ed Corley's book, The Discipline of Intercession, as he's going through the book of Ephesians, all of these things right here that was prophesied by Isaiah are exactly what Paul was preaching in his prayers in Ephesians. The spirit of wisdom and revelation, the spirit of knowledge, you know, all of these things, it's like, man, this is what happens when the Spirit of God comes upon me. Then verse 3, it gets better. His delight is in the fear of the Lord. It's not a dreadful thing. And he shall not judge by the sight of his eyes, nor decide by the hearing of his ears. That's really difficult to do, isn't it? to look at someone or a situation and not make a decision based on what you see. Not make a decision based on what you hear. You could go talk to some guy on the street that could utter the most blasphemous, profane things that you have ever heard. You want to cover your little kid's ears. And if you went to minister to this person based solely on just the words that he said, you'd probably want to run the other way. But, if you can hear what's being said behind the profanity, that's what they're talking about. You know, that's what the Lord wants to do here. And so we'd really be able to hear with the Lord's ears, the heart cry of maybe that individual. In verse 4 and 5, there's some key qualities that will also be imparted to us as the Spirit of the Lord rests upon us. And they are, but with righteousness He shall judge the poor and decide with equity... Equity is another one for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall slay the wicked. Again, righteousness in verse 5 shall be the belt of his loins and faithfulness the belt of his waist. So how many people want faithfulness? You want righteousness? You want fairness, equality? Yes, Lord. Amen. We'll take that. And then in Isaiah chapter 50 verse 4... This is a good one as well. It says, The Lord God has given me the tongue of the learned. I guess that means I can speak 
like an educated person by the Lord, that I should know how to speak a word in season to him who is weary. Have you ever encountered a weary, downtrodden, beaten up person that you just didn't know what to say to them? like, Lord, I don't know how to relate to this person. I don't know. I don't know what to say. But when the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon you, you will know what to say. At the time to say it, the right moment. That's what can happen when the Spirit of the Lord is upon us. One more verse in that note. It's not on the screen. Just read it to you. It's Isaiah 59, 21. As for me, says the Lord, this is my covenant with them. My Spirit who is upon you and my words which I have put in your mouth shall not depart from your mouth nor from the mouth of your descendants or your children nor from the mouth of your descendants' descendants your children's children. So Isaiah was prophesying that the Spirit of God will be upon Jesus you know, and that even Jesus' descendants and then His descendants' descendants and that's me. That's you. That's us. That the same Spirit of the Sovereign Lord that is upon me that Jesus was saying in Luke chapter 4, verse 16, you can now proclaim for yourself. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me. And then it says, He has anointed me. He has anointed me. What does, you know, what does anointed mean and what, what will happen as I'm anointed? by the Lord. I was talking to a friend of mine one day and he said that um, when he came in, first became a part of like a church and there was this word anointed thrown around a lot, he really didn't like that word. He took that word to be a synonym for um, th- that person's just more talented than someone else. Like, <laughs> you know, that's how he heard the word anointed. And he felt like it was just kind of a discriminatory term, really, and people just giving preference to somebody. Oh, well, he's got the anointing. You know, he's like, no, he just plays the guitar better than you. <laughs> you know, it's like, and, uh, but there really is something biblically to this word, which means anointed, and it literally means smeared. And uh, we know that in the Old Testament, when someone was anointed, a lot of times they would take a flask of oil and actually dump it over their head, smear that stuff all around, get it really good and drenched, yeah. And... Uh, but what I want to know is if that, that's physically what the outcoming of that in the Old Testament, what is spiritually, what does that do for us? Acts 10, verse 38. God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all. Everybody say all. Healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. I want to heal all that are oppressed by the devil. I want to, Lord. I want to, God. That we could heal all that are oppressed, Lord. See, I really believe, and this is sort of a visionary message, I understand, for River Life Fellowship, but really our hearts are, and we're a long ways from it, but our hearts, Lord, is, God, that we could heal all who are oppressed by the devil. You know, all that come in here and are out there that we come in contact with, that we could heal all those. Lord, that's what these ministry teams are about. It's not to create some, some structure in the church that's all rigid and everything. It's just to make a place that all would be able to get ministered to. You know? 
1 Samuel 16, of course, is the story of the young teenager David. And, uh, you know, Samuel came into town and was checking out all of Jesse's boys. And he brought seven of them in front of him. And so he asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? Because the Lord was like, no, Samuel, this isn't it. This isn't the person that's going to be king of Israel. This isn't the anointed. And, and uh, he said, there's still the youngest, Jesse answered. I think I'm reading out of a different translation. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm in the NIV. It's the New King James. Uh, yeah, there remains yet the youngest, and there he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and bring him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. So he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy with bright eyes and good looking, kind of like Andy. And uh, the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is the one. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. And in the NIV it says, From that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came upon David in power. In power. Do you know that David is mentioned 60 times in the New Testament? I counted that up. The son of David. Who was that? The son of David. Jesus was referred to as the son of David because physically he was of the line of David. The lineage of David. But did you know that you are a son of David? We are all spiritually descended from King David. So what I want you to visualize this morning is just as Jesse, I'm sorry, Samuel poured that flask of oil over David spiritually, we can pour the oil over Marlon and over Sam, is it? Sam. Pour that oil and just run down over his beard and everything, get him all drenched and messy. The Spirit of the Lord will come upon him because, you know, obviously King David had all of these qualities that we're talking about of righteousness and he was the man after God's own heart. You know what I noticed? Right after this happened, you know what David did? The very next chapter, it might have been the same chapter, Saul became tormented by an evil spirit. He called David. He came in there and played his instrument and sang before the Lord just worshipped. Can you imagine that? Like, I bet he went and was like, what in the world am I supposed to do, you know? I mean, this guy's probably going to try to kill me or something. I'm just going to, okay, so what do you want me to do? And he, he just began to worship the Lord, and, you know, that spirit had to leave. You see, when you're anointed, just open your mouth. Just sing to the Lord, you know? Just praise the Lord. Just play the instrument if you can, or play the CD. You know, um, just play the thing, and the Spirit of God is powerful to come in there and demolish those things. Angela has experienced that recently, right? <laughs> um, and then you know what else he did right after that? He went and, and killed the giant, which was an impossible task. We talk about Mission Impossible, right? Okay, Eric, here's what I want you to do. You see that ten-foot fellow over there? I want you to go, and I want you to kill him. Okay, Lord. <laughs> you know, it's like, wow, that's uh, kind of an impossible mission. Then Jesus said to preach the gospel to the poor. What does it mean to be poor? Well, yeah, I mean, I'm poor, you know, financially, but is that what it's really talking about here? Well, it could be, but there's some other things by poor that I want to point out to you. And just, I want to look at a couple verses here. Second Chronicles 34, 27. Go on to the next verse there. 
Because your heart was tender and you humbled yourself before God when you heard His words against this place and against its inhabitants, and you humbled yourself before me, and you tore your clothes and wept before me, I also have heard you, says the Lord. That what, that's what it means to be poor. It's humility. It's humbling yourself before the Lord when He speaks. Submitting your will to His. Not having all the answers, but just being humble enough to recognize when God is wanting to do something. Psalm 34.18 says it this way, The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart and save such as have a contrite spirit. And these aren't up there, but Psalm 51, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. Psalm 147, He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. Isaiah 57, uh, for thus says the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place with him who has a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. Isaiah twenty nine nineteen, the humble also shall increase their joy in the Lord and the poor among men shall rejoice in the Holy One of Israel. And Zechariah 11, So it was broken on that day. Thus the poor of the flock who were watching me knew that it was the word of the Lord. The poor of the flock knew that it was the word of the Lord. And then, of course, there's Matthew 5, 3 in the Beatitudes where Jesus said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then finally, on this note, James um, 2, 5, it's, James says here, Listen, my beloved brethren, has God not chosen who? The poor of this world to be rich in what? Rich in faith. Rich in faith. So in order to be rich in faith, it requires humility. It requires, you know what, Lord, I don't know. I don't have the answers, Lord. I really, you know, Lord, I just submit myself to You. I'm just dependent upon You. I'm desperate for You, Lord. It's submitting Your will to Him. And you know, the rebellious, most stubborn person in the world, should they come to that place of submission, the Spirit of God can come in and, and do miraculous things. Uh, next, Jesus said that He came to preach deliverance to the captives. What does the deliverance of God look like? Psalm 102, verse 20 to hear the groaning of the prisoner to release those appointed to death. Have you ever seen someone that almost seemed to be groaning? Maybe not physically, but you could just kind of sense it in their spirit. Um, Isaiah 42 says, to open blind eyes, to bring out prisoners from the prison, those who sit in darkness from the prison house. And Isaiah 49.9, that you may say, to the prisoners, go forth. To those in, who are in darkness, show yourselves. They shall feed along the roads, and their pastures shall be on all desolate heights. They shall neither hunger nor thirst, 
neither heat nor sun shall strike them, for he who has mercy on them will lead them. Even by the springs of water, he will guide them. You know, Dutch Sheets said in this word at the beginning of the year, he said that uh, there is a radical anointing of deliverance that is about to come to the church. It will actually be violent at times, and people will be radically delivered in a moment. That's what I'm holding out for. I just believe that God can do it. Radical deliverance in a moment. Not years of counsel and struggle and turmoil and just the enemy robbing them of all the time and all this, but radical deliverance can happen. Violent deliverance can happen in a person's life and just rip them out of the snares, man. I mean, every one of us in this room, I'm sure, knows somebody that is just, just seems beyond hope. Just, <laughs> you know, just in the snares and they just cannot seem to escape. But the Lord is able. He's willing. He wants to. I believe that. Sorry, I lost my place here. Okay. Finally, Colossians 1, 13 and 14, under this part of deliverance, it says, He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. It doesn't get any better than that. That's the most profound thing that there could ever be. That we have... I mean, when I think about it, I mean, think about where you were, how easily we forget, because time passes. And little by little, that tenderheartedness that we once felt, little by little, bit by bit a little bit of hardness begins to creep into that heart. No, we, do, we don't return to what we once were. But little by little, somehow, the worries of the world, the cares of this life, can just, all of a sudden, it's like, man, this is boring. You know, I, you know what I'm talking about? Or am I the only one here? It's like, you can come to that place. And that's where, when the Lord said tenderhearted, I was like, Lord, make me tenderhearted. I really want to care about people. Yeah. I really do. To be honest with you, sometimes I just don't. <laughs> you know, I just don't. I just would just rather leave them to themselves. Let them just wallow in their own mess. If we're to be real honest with ourselves this morning. But Lord, give me a tender heart. Let me remember my first love. Let me remember what that day was like when I was rescued out of the pits of hell, the pits of despair, and came into the marvelous light of the Lord. I realize, man, this is what it's all about. You know? The pot smoking and the acid trips and all the, you know, all the Grateful Dead shows that I was going to. I thought that was cool. It wasn't cool. It wasn't cool at all, man. It wasn't cool. There was nothing cool about it really once I realized that, man, I could just get high on the Holy Spirit and didn't have to pay a dime for it. You know what I'm saying? Why would you want to pay for that? said Lord thank you for that I just marvel at your goodness and Jesus said that he would bring recovery of sight to the blind recovery of sight to the blind of course there's a story where these two blind beggars come after Jesus you know and he says well tell you what do you believe that I can do this yes Lord 
said, your faith made you whole. He touched their eyes and boom, instantly, their physically blind eyes were opened. The Lord's doing that around the world all the time. But also, probably even more importantly, the spiritual blindness that just plagues our nation today. You know, it's just so frustrating sometimes. All the, the just the blindness out there. People just groping in the dark and making all these excuses for it and just, just lost, you know. It can really be really hard to deal with at times. But the Lord can give sight to the blind. In fact, in John 9, 39, he says, uh, these Pharisees came up to him and they said, are we blind also? You know, and he said, well, if you were blind, you would have no sin. But now you say, we see, therefore your sin remains. And what he was really confronted in this was a spiritual pride. That they thought that they knew what the truth was. He even said to them in one place that you search the Scriptures, the Bible, you read the Bible, and in it you think that you have life. You think that you have eternal life. But he said, no, you're missing the point. It's me where you find life. This is just a revelation of me. You know? And so, yes, it's the physically blind, but it's also those who are spiritually blind, either lost in sin are lost to religion, of believing that they've got all the answers. Lord, help us. And finally, i end here, 1230, I'm doing okay, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Church, that's our job. The Lord has anointed us to proclaim favor. Favor, favor, favor over that marriage. Favor over their finances. Favor over their children. Favor over their health. Favor. That's what the year of Jubilee is all about. Let me read this thing. It says, Jubilee, a joyful, a joyful shout or clangor of trump, clamor of trumpets. The name of the great semi-centennial festival of the Hebrews. It lasted for one year. During this year, the land was to be fallow, and the Israelites were only permitted to gather the spontaneous produce of the fields. So the fields they'd been farming, they weren't allowed to farm them. Just leave them be, and what you can gather is what you get. Anything that's left over there, that's what you can get. And then uh, all landed property during that year was reverted to its original owner. And also all who were slaves were set free and all debts were canceled. All debts were canceled. And that's what he's done for me. He's canceled my debts. <laughs> I owed a lot. Man, my, my debt list was pretty long, I think, as yours was as well. Everyone's is. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Right? Romans 3.23 proclaims that. So we're all in the same boat. But he's canceled the debt because Jesus said that what, that's what he was about. So, Lord, my question remains, how do we convey this? How do we get this out there? How do we take it outside of River Life Fellowship on a Sunday morning and let the world know? As a church, I believe our focus must be beyond these walls. I'm not proposing that that's all we should focus on. Certainly not. That would be a mistake. We've got to take care of the body. We, we value community and family. 
and, and many other things, but certainly this is one of the, the primary purposes of the church. It was one of the last things Jesus said before He left the earth. Matthew 28, you know, go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey all I commanded you. You know, so, yeah, that's the nations, but this is our nation. Let's do it here. Let's go on a missions trip. I think Lee Park, you know, Lee Park Outreach that we've been involved with for some time now is a great initiative, you know, and it's just one aspect of mission. You know, all mission that I'm talking about is not going to look like that. But I feel like the Lord has other ideas, other ways of reaching children or, you know, just to throw some things out there, reaching the the many lost young men at NASCAR Technical Institute or, you know, whatever the situation is or your job, you know, your workplace or whatever the situation is. And what I just want to exhort you today is if you have lost sight of that focus, if you have forgotten or just somehow been about your life and you maybe you need to be reminded, shift your thinking a little bit. Begin to seek the Lord seriously in prayer about what you're supposed to do on this mission trip. Why would you want to waste your mission trip, man? It's, it's a bummer to go like half a world away for three weeks and you get home and be like, man, I didn't really do anything. All I did was hang out, you know? That's kind of yeah, discouraging. We don't want to waste our mission trip. And uh, Sarah's going to just conclude here with a practical illustration here. Well, what's exciting is that this verse was spoken to each one of us. It wasn't just to the pastor or the worship leader. You know, the Spirit of the Lord is upon each one of us, and He's anointed us to preach the gospel and to proclaim freedom for the captives. And the Lord's been kind of working this through. I've been having this discussion with the Lord of, for months. Of, I felt like He's been saying to me, It's time to get out of your box of your idea of what ministry is and your idea of, okay, it's, it's preaching this message or it's, or it's speaking here for me personally or singing, you know, that's what you think is when the Lord's using me and the Lord's saying, I want you to get out of that box because I have so much more for you and, it, and, it, and as we, so I was saying, okay, Lord, well, what are you, what is that, what does that look like? And so, and I believe that it's a lot about doing, about letting the Lord show you, remind you where you've been and where He's brought you, and just really seeking the Lord and in communion with Him and letting Him draw you in that compassion that rises up in you for another and walking with that. Um, just a, a one thing that happened a few months back. In January or before that, I was re- just opened up this magazine, not a magazine. I, I mean, you really have to, it's about just saying, Lord, I'm available. Here I am. And then just kind of saying, Lord, keep me attentive at the same point to hear when you're speaking to me. I um, was reading this magazine and there was this flip to this page and there was this little family sitting there picture and I started reading through the article. And before I knew it, my heart was just like, this compassion was just rising up. It was this pastor out in Waco, Texas, that had been in this accident and was um, killed, and and um, his and they were just, you know, in remembrance of him, writing this thing, you know, this compassion for his wife and children just 
just rose up in me. And this intercession for her just started coming. And I tried to go to the grocery store and was sitting in the parking lot and realized I was not going to get into the grocery store because this, this, it was just like beyond me. If you have those moments where it's like this is beyond me, I, I know this is the Lord. This, you know, and all of a sudden these words just started coming out while I was speaking in the car over her, and I just felt like I was there, even though I was here and she's in Waco, and I have no clue who this person even is. And um, I felt like when I got home that the Lord said, "You need to write that down and send it to her." And I was like, "Oh Lord, she does not know who I am. I don't know, you know. I, that just, I haven't written a letter in forever because emails what you do and." And I don't email because I don't have an email address. So, But I felt the Lord saying, this is what you need to do. And I felt like it just prod me to be obedient, you know. So I was like, okay. And I got out this piece of paper and started writing. Because actually I had this thing of envelopes because the Lord had told me to write this other letter a while back and didn't do it. So here, I was pulling out that envelope. I'm going to write it this time. And and um, as I was writing and I got ready to send, Matthew was like, now are you prepared that you send this and you don't even know you never even get anything back from her that says anything. You just send it, and I was like, okay, yeah, you know, you'd like to know or hear something, you know, but yeah. And I think that's part of what the Lord's asking us to do is um, to be obedient and not always know the outcome. Sometimes, sometimes even we try to figure out in our mind, well, I need to do this this certain way and try and figure out in our minds how they were going to receive it or what would be the best way for them to receive it or what would be the best timing when that's up to the Lord. The Lord's the one that has to soften their heart, prepare their heart, get them ready, all that. And so I think the Lord's asking us, will you just be obedient when I ask you to and let me work out all the details? You know, because I'm the one that has to do it and it gets all messy when you try to get in there and mess around with it. So, anyways, this week, actually, a friend of mine came over and goes, who are those kids on your on your um, refrigerator? And I was like, oh, let me tell you the story. Anyways, about last month, I get this letter in the mail, and Matthew's like, Waco, Texas, what is that? And I'm like, oh, and then I look on the back, and I was like, oh, that was that girl I sent that letter to. So I opened it up, and I just want to read what she wrote. Let me start off by saying that your letter to me was exactly what I needed. Thank you so much for taking the time to write it. Mm. I didn't put it away with all the other letters. I kept it out so that that I would remember to write you and let you know how thankful I am that I have it. Thank you for letting God work through you as I know your life is busy. And all of a sudden, too, I remembered this what happened after I sent the letter about I was looking up. I had already sent the letter, so I couldn't take it back. I was looking up about the church and realized they weren't a spirit-filled church, and I had just gone after it in this letter. You know, the Lord just was sharing me that, you know, this and that and this and that. And, you know, just I had this vision and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, oh, my gosh, you may think I'm really a lunatic, you know. But that's where, thank the Lord, I didn't know all that because I was able to just, write exactly what the Lord was telling me to do and be faithful. So that's what I'm saying is, is I feel like the Lord's saying to be obedient. And the second thing was last night we were at the grocery store and um, this Matthew was in the grocery, he walked in and this couple got out of the car and they had two kids and they were walking in with their jug of change, you know. And in my heart, 
I just knew that, I don't know for sure, but I felt like they're probably going in there going to put their change in, get out what money they have and go get their groceries. And I was thinking, gosh, Lord, I'd love to just give them some money. And really where that was coming from is I knew what it felt like to be there. You know what I mean? Like I knew where there might be times where you're there and, and you're maybe not completely don't know, but I do know what it feels like to come to the end of the month sometimes and you got your change, you're going in just to get what you can and then you're going to make it for a few days. And this compassion just came up in me, and I knew it was the Lord. You know, but then I was like, I don't have any cash. And Matthew came out, and he was like, I don't have any cash. And, but I didn't, and I didn't give him any money at that time, but I didn't feel condemned. I felt like it was the time that the Lord was using to teach me something. And Matthew was saying, well, why? I said, I just have this heart in me to just give somebody some money sometime that that just to say, the Lord loves you, you know, and give somebody this money. I don't, this isn't me. I'm not going, okay, here's a mission statement. Now, hmm, what am I going to do to work this out? I don't feel like that's what, it's not going to be a striving thing. It's just let the Lord do those things in you and walk from there. Matthew was saying, what you need to do probably is just put $20 in your pocketbook and say, okay, this is, Lord, for you. I'm being intentional. I'm putting this $20 in my pocketbook, and if you show me somebody you want me to give it to, then I'll give it to them. And just in that way, and it's just a real freeing thing. It's not a thing of, you know, and I feel like there's things that the Lord's put in each one of your hearts. It's part of who you are. It's part of things the Lord's done in you. It's remembering when you were, you know, a mess and what, the Lord, what it meant for the Lord to speak to you and bring you out of that. And just... As the Lord brings it to you, being obedient. That's a simple thing of being obedient. Seems simple. I say that seems simple. It's so not simple. Because sometimes I even have this one letter that I'm still going to write because the Lord has not let me go with it. But it's just being obedient and knowing that the Lord's going to take care of it. You know, and so that was it. So, um, you know, and I was thinking when you were talking about putting the $20 in your purse... You know, spiritually, we all have what we call our testimony. You know, put that, tuck that thing in your in your pocket. You know, just spiritually speaking, and uh, just be ready. Ask the Lord every day, every week. Say, Lord, give me an opportunity just to share my story with somebody today. You know, it can be very practical. Yeah. This is one one important thing that I felt like that I forgot that last night the Lord said to me was. Where do you put this on your list of things to do? You write down on Monday, okay, got to clean the house, got to you know, do the bathrooms, write out all my lists so that I can organize when I'm going to do it. But never on that list do I put, okay, the Lord told me to write a letter, so I'm going to put that in there. Or the Lord told me to put $20 in my purse, so I'm going to go to the bank and get the $20 out and put it in my... You know, instead of, because I realized for me personally... I had, that was always, and when I get to it, when I can get to it, you know, this is all of my stuff I've got to get done, but that's extra when I need to get to it. And this was what the Lord was saying is, this is something I'm, I'm speaking to you. How important is that to you? Oh, it's real important, Lord. Help me to put those things mm-hmm. as an importance in my life. Yeah. So please take this before the Lord this week and uh, seriously ask the Lord to just speak to you and Remind you of things that maybe he's spoken to you about in the past. And uh, Byron, come up here and, and we're going to take communion. But I do want to say, you know, if, if you really do feel like you're at the end of your rope this morning, just please 
as people are coming up, come over here. I really want to pray with you. And uh, also, Dom wants to pray for the person that has that ailment or physical problem. So we'll be over here in the corner to do that.